Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, welcome along to Irish Examiner Sports Paper Talk Extra Podcast. I'm here with Tony Lean and Larry Ryan to primarily discuss, discuss the Manchester United and Arsenal match at the Emirates at the weekend, our main look into the Premier League. And later on in the show, we'll discuss Irish rugby uh, with Steve Neville and Mikey Sheen. There's a good debate there coming up as well. But we wanted to start this evening by looking at the Arsenal match. Alexander Lacazette is out for Arsenal, Tony, with a groin problem. Mm-hmm. Arsenal are going for a stat there. 13 home league games in a row. Victories since, first time since November 2005. That would be some achievement, wouldn't it? it? Yes, it would. And it's just as well, Peter, because obviously their away form has been quite patchy this season. Um, up until recently, they hadn't won away. I think the Everton win was their first victory away from home. You know, they took the three points uh, against Burnley. Sometimes... You see, results camouflage um, how well a team is playing. I mean, if you actually were to watch the full 90 minutes of Arsenal's game against Huddersfield on Wednesday night, Arsenal were extremely poor, very sloppy for 60 minutes of the game. They ended up scoring three goals in four minutes. So I'm not certain that Arsenal are going into this game with a consistent run of form. But the one thing that they do seem to be able to do over the last six I suppose 12 18 months Larry is they seem to be able to perform in one-offs you know I'm talking about cup semi-finals cup finals the home game against Tottenham two or three weeks ago they seem to be able to actually their, their problem seems to be actually putting six or eight or ten consistent performances together and that's why you would certainly from an Arsenal point of view expect a big performance again because they will look at this as one of those one-off games. I mean, they've had a good run. It wasn't just the result. It was the performance against Tottenham. They followed that up with the win at Burnley. They followed it up with the 5-0 of Huddersfield. So they are going in looking for four wins, you know, on the on the spin. Yes, Lacazette is an issue. Um, I'm not certain he's been really properly handled so far by the manager uh, in terms of um, how he's used and unfortunately even when he's used um, he wasn't uh, what was the game Larry lately that he actually wasn't picked for it was the Manchester City match was it, it was the Man- you're exactly right it was the City game like you know which was you know obviously in hindsight it was a poor decision but even at the time you're thinking like it sends out a very conservative message like to leave you know Everybody is talking about like the intelligent runs he's making, how he's actually stretching defences, his ability to play off the shoulder, his ability to work in the channels, which, let's face it, 
Giroud is never going to give you as a focal point. Now, I suppose the question we ask is with him out, does Wenger go the Danny Welbeck route, which I know that Larry thinks he should, or, or does he go back to Giroud? Um, we, we discussed the merits of the likes of Giroud uh, a bit. I still believe, you know, for all his faults, he has dug Arsenal and he has dug Arsene Wenger out of a lot of holes in the last two or three years. He's always likely to make a positive contribution. So, you know, do you start Giroud or Welbeck tomorrow uh, alongside Sanchez? It's not a bad problem to have. Lacazette out, do I start Giroud or do I start Welbeck? I, I think um, I think at this stage Giro is probably best left to the job of, of digging us out of holes. I would say, um, as in twenty minutes to go and things aren't going aren't going as expected or as wanted. I said, and then it's when you send for Giro. I, I don't think starting a man who, who, let's face it, he can't run um, up front against United is probably the best idea the way they're playing at the moment. Um, Welbeck would be a more natural. Natural replacement for Lacazette, or possibly Sanchez to play up front where Lacazette was playing, and and Welbeck to play on the on the wing. I think he he'll act- I mean, I do think that's what he'll do. I mean, you know, I think Sanchez will play up top. I think, as you say, I think Welbeck will work up and down the left all day. Um, and as I said, I think Giroud um, will get his you know fifteen or twenty minutes. I suppose I'm just being defensive of the guy in the sense of he keeps digging Arsenal out of a hole. He's France's centre forward still, and he's he's almost treated now I think as an afterthought at Arsenal, which is slightly harsh because there are there are so many games and so many situations we watch where you actually say. This actually needs a zero. We actually need a focal point. We need someone to actually bring players into the game. Obviously, a Lacazette isn't going to do that. And with the best will in the world to Sanchez, for all his qualities, he's not necessarily going to do that either. You know, Alexis Sanchez is only interested in Alexis Sanchez, you know, to a greatest extent. So, but I think, I think Larry's right. I think that's what they'll do. I think Welbeck will probably start and Sanchez will play up top. Well, stand up for the big men there first. I mean, I think, you know, as, as, a, <laughs> as, a, fellow, as a fellow man who can't run up top uh, once upon a time, uh, I mean, I like, I like Giroud. And I think if, if football was, if it was walking football, he'd be, he'd be among the, the best footballers in the world, I would say. But yeah. um, I just think he, he doesn't, as you say, he doesn't allow you to stretch the, stretch the game. You know, you ha- everything has to be played in front of him. You can't. You can't knock one into the channels for him, you know. So it just compresses things a bit much. And then Arsenal's midfield. If you do compress things a little bit more, are they the kind who, who you know, who <clears throat> they give the ball away too often? Anyway, they they take too many chances. Probably, particularly Ramsey. So, uh, Larry, Tony mentioned there earlier about in the past, in the recent past, uh, Arsenal will win big matches or they'd be very competitive in big games, and then they'd fall asunder against lesser lights. But after the Tottenham game, a game in which they performed really well, they did actually come out afterwards and batter a few teams after that. So that must be hugely encouraging for Wenger and for Arsenal supporters that there wasn't a kind of a flattening off. They battered no one. They got a 93rd minute penalty and a dodgy one against Burnley. Go on, Larry. I mean... Yeah, but, it, but, it, but it's maximum points which is something they, they, you know, they might have fell in their sword in previous matches after a big game at that yeah I agree I think, I think every Arsenal fan was expecting them once they'd beaten Spurs to, to manage to drop points against Burnley or, or Huddersfield but uh, 
I'd actually be of the opposite view. I, I, you, you reckon it's encouraging. I would, I would almost be dis- dis- discouraged by that now <laughs> because uh, I feel they might well be saving. Their, I, I think this is too close to the Tottenham. You know, the, you said it's a one-off. They like these one-off games. This is this is too close to the Tottenham performance yeah. to produce another one-off. I think it's in the same kind of yeah. So we're, we're, you know, I, I think they need to wait for another six weeks before producing another one of those one-offs. Um, I, I, I fear they won't be as fired up to play United as they might have been. Ahead, they were really fired up for Spurs. Played as well as they played since the cup final and probably before that, since they beat United three 0 about two years ago, I think now. Like, uh, but. I'm not sure they were, and they and they blew Spurs away really there. I mean, um, by really pressing them in and attacking them from the front. But I, I'm not sure. I, ho- I hope they they play like that against Manchester United again. And I think if they do, they probably will. They probably will win the game. But I'm not sure they'll have that sort of the savage hunger. Tony, they've lost just one of their last five home games against United. What United will show up at the Emirates? Will it be the one that will sit in and hope to catch Arsenal on the counter or, or will Mourinho be a bit more aggressive in his a, a tactical approach? No, I don't think um, there's no indication to see that he's going to um, he's going to you know start throwing uh, wingers and, and, and strikers and attacking midfielders uh, at the game. I mean, Mourinho is what Mourinho is. Um, you know, and he's very good, obviously, at what he does. You see, the problem that Mourinho has with the football he's playing is not the football he's playing, but it's where he's playing it. Unfortunately, you are dealing with a club that has just a, a history of attacking Cavalier football. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a strange situation to see it because we, we see and we talk and we listen and on social media you read, you know, an awful lot of of United fans are quite uncomfortable with what's going on there at the moment. Um, so, but, but then he will argue that I think it's elite eight matches. They've scored four or more four goals at least. So yeah, they have. Um, I think what they do have now, um, and I presume they will have on Saturday, is they have Pogba back. They have Ibrahimovic back. Um, I think the dynamic will change to some degree. I'd be very interested to see the Lukaku situation, how that develops uh, over the next couple of weeks, because there's a boy you know who's going through a bad phase now at the moment. I'm not even certain um, the return of Ibrahimovic is doing him any favours. Actually, in one sense, I think it's probably only highlighting and underlining again, you know, his limitations. I'm saying when he's facing the goal, he's fine with his back to goal. Um, but in terms of your question, in terms of what they'll bring to the Emirates. I think they'll sit in. I think they'll they'll you know they won't want they'll be expecting the performance from Arsenal that Arsenal delivered against Tottenham. They, they would be expecting that. I know Larry's pessimism, you know, carries him to a point like where he doesn't see anything positive possible. But you'd be expecting Arsenal will be up for it again. The only thing you do, I suppose, have a small bit of concern about is that this is Arsenal's third game in six days. You know, they played on Sunday, they played Wednesday night, they're going to play again on Saturday. United will have the extra day on them. So the problem for Arsenal, certainly for me, would be that if United scored first, because then United, that United side is set up to pick you off. Um, you know, and that would be the issue. Certainly from an Arsenal point of view, you know, you were, you were looking for Arsenal to actually score and actually to make United come out a small bit and actually play. Is, is, is Fellaini, is Fellaini fit? <laughs> it might be a, yeah. you could, you could, you could he's see. He's unavailable. He's unavailable. That's, that's, that, that I would say is a boost <laughs> to Arsenal. It's, it struck me as a game where, where Mourinho might have unleashed Fellaini 
especially if Arsenal do their full court press, they'd be, they'd be keen to knock it over that press. I would yeah. say. I would say. Yeah. The, the thing about Wenger, Fellaini is out with a knee problem. In the two big games so far in the league, Larry, against Liverpool at Anfield and against Tottenham at Old Trafford, both games were incredibly hard to watch. Now I know he's getting goal. They're, they're, they're getting goals against the the so-called lesser lights, but in the two big games so far, a game against Liverpool and against Tottenham, he almost. It sounds disingenuous to say, but he almost dragged Liverpool and Tottenham down to a level that they would just shut down the opposition rather than even attempting to win the game. They had no interest in winning Anfield, and they did look they did the business at Old Trafford. But it was again, it was a target kind of a game. Will they try and do the same to Arsenal? Yeah, you'd expect they they, they probably will. Yeah, um, like people are, are suggesting, Man City's um, stretching lead will, will mean that eventually Mourinho has to try and win these matches but I, I would say he would prize not losing to Arsene Wenger <laughs> above risking uh, risking a beating and, and closing any gap there I would say I, I, his, his natural thing is to be is to be um, is to be cautious in these matches and even when, when they were at their best his best teams they, they would be cautious in these big matches and he, and, and he uses attacking players to get them out of uh, to win the games which is nothing, nothing wrong with that either. Like I mean, that's the way he's perfectly entitled to play that way. I I would say, I'd be surprised if he plays uh, all of Lukaku, Martial, and um, Rashford. Rashford at the same time. Oh, no. Seems unlikely. No, he does. He like a trump card off the bench, right? Yeah. Just lastly, lads, on the composition of the top four, City obviously look. I think we all agree that City are going to win the league. Well, it's it's very. It's let's wait maybe until January. Uh, you know to to. To say that for certain, I mean, you always like to get to the end of January, start of February. Uh, you know, I'd like to see them have a blip, purely because you know we don't want them start. We don't, we don't want you know Arsenal's invincible tag to be something that we have to share with anybody else. Let's face it. So you would like them, you would like them to, to you know to lose a game sooner rather than later. And when they do, uh, it would just be interesting. You know, then when they're back in Champions League action in February, you know, and they've a few things going up and, you know, they might pick up an injury or two. And like at the moment, you see, everything is going so swimmingly for them. Mm. And in fairness to Guardiola, he has a a squad of such depth. He has all his key players absolutely firing, mm. you know, Sané, Silva, De Bruyne, like every And fit. Yeah. And Jesus, you know, uh, so like every one of them. They're at a point now where they're doing what league-winning teams do. They're scoring 95th-minute winners the other night. You know, they scored a bobbly late winner again last weekend at Brighton. They're doing the things that the champions do. But, like, you know, you'd say to yourself, we'll chase them and keep them honest until, we'll say, February. Um, And then you're asking the question... Who finishes second? You know, who finishes third? Who finishes fourth? I think it's a bit early, you know, to be writing off Tottenham out of the top four. I really do. I think it's a bit early to be... (laughs) Liverpool and Tottenham aren't in the top four at the moment. But, you know, Larry, with the best will in the world, and you're the ultimate Arsenal pessimist, are you wholly confident of Arsenal staying in the top four? You're saying the balance of power may not have have shifted. (laughs) I know, I, I know. I, I don't think Arsenal by any means guaranteed top four. Uh, it depends, I suppose, on what um, agent or what instructions um, Ozil and Sanchez agents are uh, providing them with for the next few weeks, doesn't it? <laughs> whether the deals get done early in January or late in January or whatever. Well, you know? has said this week, which it was interesting. I don't necessarily think it got the headlines. You know that they're not going anywhere in January. 
he did say at the press conference on yeah. Thursday that they are staying until the end of the season, which, by the way, is a massive financial statement. One, obviously, that he must have the support of the board on. But no matter what way you try to spin that, and, you know, even the fact that it is a January window, Lar, you're talking 45, 50 million down the drain there. Well, maybe he's just persuading the lads they have to stay in the shop window until at least the second half of January you know if they think they're not going to be gone in January they're going to have to stay playing well for another while and then he can sell them late in the window for a respectable fee late in January well he has said that they will be there until the end of the season no I have say he did add a little rider as Arsene tends to do at the end unless something unbelievable happens Mm. Um, but seriously I mean if, if, if Arsenal were to keep Sanchez and Ozil until the summer you are literally pouring fifty million down the toilet because obviously they're, they're gone and freeze. Then at that stage, the end January thirty first is the last day Arsenal have to cash in on the two of them, um, and it is a big, big, big statement um, to actually keep them till the end of the season. I must admit, I'm a bit, I'm with Larry on this one. I'm I would be surprised if they're both there at the end of January. Probably as surprised I am by Mesut Ozil's sudden and remarkable transformation in form and work and appetite for work over the last two to three weeks. It's a remarkable transformation in the man and I'd love to know the reason. And finally, lads, just a a prediction, a scoreline prediction for the game at the Emirates. Ah, 1-1. Larry pessimistic, 1-1. Um, looking at the fixtures that are ahead, Arsenal have some. I want you know. There's no such thing as an easy fixture, but I think if Arsenal could get three points here, they put themselves in a strong position. Um, their last Europa League game against Bate Borisov is a dead rubber. It's, they don't have to do anything with that. Mm. You know, I do feel it's a big opportunity for Wenger to put something over on Mourinho to make a statement to show the likes of Ozil and Sanchez that, you know, there's a lot to play for. Um, I'm actually saying 3-1 Arsenal. My many thanks to Tony Lean and to Larry Ryan. Up next we have Robbie's chat with myself, Mikey Sheen and Steve Neville. It's not just about the man in front of you. It's the team behind you. You fight together. Or you fall together. Only one team can stand tall. Ronan O'Gara, Donal Lenehan and Simon Lewis write exclusively for the Irish Examiner throughout the rugby season. For their brilliant insights on this week's key matches, get behind the Irish Examiner. So now we're going to move it along on Paper Talk Extra. I'm here with Steve Neville and Mikey Sheehan to discuss rugby, Irish rugby in particular, obviously, and particularly Munster and Leinster players that seem to be Steve, we begin with the guys that are beginning to go out of contract. Uh, big story this week that there's an awful lot of fellas, big name players, including CJ Stander, um, to join the likes of Peter O'Mahony and Simon Zebo, potentially even Munster, for instance. What's the scale there? Well, the, the talk at the moment is the Irish Times reported this morning that CJ Stander might be following Peter O'Mahony out of, uh, out of Munster. Peter O'Mahony the reports say he rejected a contract from the RFU and there's talks that CJ Stander is negotiating a deal with the RFU but they've stalled um, Terry's Times uh, story said that he could get triple his wages over in France which is a 
very enticing opportunity in shape for us. But I mean, it would be disastrous. Whatever would Ireland would be disastrous for Munster because they've after losing Dunnock Ryan last year, Simon Z was on the way. If Peter Manny and CJ Stander go to the door, that's four fan favourites gone and four of their best players gone in the space of two years. Why is this all coming around now? Well, it's, it's that time of year, it's contract season. I mean, there's a, a bunch of players who have contracts up in the next in 2019, 2020. So, I mean, it's that time of year for renegotiating contracts. And I suppose, at the moment, France is the, the mega-rich rugby nation. They have all the money. That's where you go if you want to... I mean, you could go to France for two years and you could probably retire after that. But, but we asked that question on the back of a good autumn international series for Ireland and potentially a very fruitful Six Nations in the new year. So if these guys are looking to potentially go abroad, we know that's frowned upon. Well, it's a very short career. Like I mean, the rugby career, you might get 10 years at the top. I mean, I mean, Paul O'Connell gave his career to Munster and then went over to try and have a stab at France, but one injury meant he couldn't play in France, which was something he wanted to do. So, I mean... The players obviously love playing for Munster and Ireland, but they've got to be looking after themselves as well because they have a life to lead after they finish up playing rugby. Like, which I totally understand, but is it now a case that Ireland will become much weaker if these guys go? I mean, it, or is it a case that they're going to have the IRFU have to go and revisit their kind of unwritten rule on well, guys not being if, in the country? If, if if more players start leaving this unwritten rule of not selecting players overseas would have to be changed. I mean, Joe Schmidt has kind of set a, pre- a precedent by not picking Zebo for the November series when he was the most informed fullback in the country leading up to the squad announcement. So, I mean, if more players start to leave, I mean, you're going to have to look at some sort of rule. Shane Horgan was talking about bringing a rule where if a player is a certain amount of caps and goes overseas he can be picked if it's 30 or 40 or 50 caps or whatever so I, I think if you don't have to like the Peter Manny go he's one of the best sixes in the Northern Hemisphere I mean it would be an awful shame not to have him in, in, not to have him around the squad Mikey in terms of Leinster he looks at Gary Ringrose Andrew Conway there's a couple of other fellas in Ulster Rory Best Tommy Bow, Jared Payne all going to be going to the negotiations with the IRFU this is far from ideal isn't it is that? No, it's quite interesting. I think I, I think this will all hinge on one player. I, I think this IRFU stance on not picking players that go abroad will all hinge on one player. Peter Romani? Conor Murray. Conor Murray, okay. I honestly think the depth and the talent in the Irish squad in every other position means that the one position where we're not uh, as well... Blessed with other talents. Blessed with other talents, exactly. Means that if Conor Murray looks elsewhere, he looks to France or looks to England, in the next two years, then they'll have to change their approach. I think if you're looking at the depth of talent of the Irish backline numbers 11 to 15, you've Rob Carney, Sweetenham, Conway, Aki, Payne, Hinshaw, Ringrose, Carberry, Farrell, Byrne, without going into some of the younger players that are coming through in the Leinster and Munster panels. Right, so that's the back row. If you look at the the, the, the forwards, you're looking at um, the likes. Of, the, these are some of the guys who weren't even in, are in even close, not close to starting, but may not have been. We're touching around the likes of Jordy Murphy, Reese Warlock, uh, Van der Fleer. Uh, you have Ryan. You have Heaslip. You have Toner. You have Jack McGrath. You know, you have these guys. 
But the only one where I haven't got Sexton has done, gone and done. No worries there, I don't think. Um, and was picked one over there. The only one where we do not got a depth of backup and talent available to us is number nine. Number nine, number nine. Well, 77 cap, Rob Carney is also a guy who's going to have a negotiation. So my reservation about this, Steve, is even though Mikey says we do have a lot of backup in other areas and that if Conor Murray goes, that, that the rule then might change. My reservation about this as someone who would obviously want the Irish team to win is there's a lot of big-name leaders who are going into negotiations. And even if a quarter of those guys don't renegotiate contracts with the RFU that's probably two or three players too many to be losing out of the absolutely the and in, in in rugby as well especially there's a there's a senior circle that are very important to the setup of a team and I can I take Mike, Mike's point out about having we have lots of depth but I mean if I don't want to be serious about going into a World Cup and actually achieving something they need to have that de- like it's kind of said you need to have two quality players in every position to try and win a World Cup. I mean, we don't have a quality backup nine to Conor Murray's level. We maybe don't have a ten at Johnny Sexton's level. Joey Carberry looks like he might get there, but he's not playing ten on a regular basis for Leinster, so there's question marks over that. But if you have these guys who start leaving, I mean, if Peter Manny goes, if Lebo's going, I mean, if Rob Kearney leaves, that that pool of depth, of depth starts to decrease. And suddenly you're looking around, maybe in two years' time, looking into the World Cup, where you're going, God, two years ago we had loads of players, and now there's a few boys who are after going further afield, and they're not, we're not quite as strong as we thought we once were, which is probably the worry where you want to keep the players in Ireland. I mean, as well, if you keep them in Ireland, they're going to Carlton House for camps, and the camps are competitive, and then the more players you have in Ireland who are going to be pictured Irish team, I mean, that competitive edge can only do good things I mean Rob Kearney played his best game for Ireland in years over the November series and he's he's definitely looking over his shoulder because there's so many young players coming up I mean Conway looks like a an out and out international 15 when he played in the November series uh, Joey Carberry can play 15 uh, Jacob Stockdale is coming to the wing he's adding numbers he's adding competition so I mean Everyone can be looking over the shoulder. Everyone can be fighting for the jersey. And that competitiveness can only be a good thing. So the depth is important. And I, and I agree. I, I think the best thing to do is to keep them in their IRFU contracts or keep them playing within the four nations. Um, I think that goes without saying. Four provinces. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, the four provinces. But why don't the IRFU open the checkbook then? Well, I don't think it's that simple. Okay. I think I think it's it's, the, it, it's that simple for the players. It is that simple. The players looking at have to look at themselves. But I think the problem is that the IRFU don't have the financial muscle that the clubs in France and England have. I okay, but they surely have enough financial muscle to keep these players who want to play for Ireland in Ireland. Consider and throwing my accountant's hat on here which I like to do the odd time rugby is backed by some of the biggest backers in this country mm. absolutely yeah but I mean if you look at the Irish Times report today about CJ Sander potentially moving I mean France can a, a club in France they say can offer him three times what they were able to offer him I mean there are a few aren't going to be able to stump up which triple their salary for one player do you know what I mean so I mean it's it's without knowing the the, yeah, yeah. the ins and outs of the IRFU bank accounts um I think that's a, it's that's a kind of a it's a difficult argument to make that 
why don't they open the checkbook? Because I don't. I think they're they're opening it as far as they can because they're trying to keep an awful lot of players on centralized contracts. Because I mean, there's there's so many talented players in Ireland. If you give all of the, if you give every one of them a centralized contract, it could very easily become that the if you run out of money very quickly. But in that argument, um, the the, the centralized contracts. But then, is there a case of? You know, I, I think from looking at it and seeing it over the last two years, the majority, if not all, of these players believe that there's a World Cup to be won in Ireland, right? And that that must that's it. for a, for a player, silverware of the highest order is a massive is a massive card to play. So they have that card. Do, do they need to support the four provinces a bit more so in terms of their negotiation? If if you're not putting everyone on a centralized contract, do they need to support the likes of Munster, Leinster, Ulster, and Connacht in keeping a lot of these players? On contracts that are not well, the, the centralised contracts are there to support, are there to support the clubs because the centralised contracts means there are a few paid contracts so the, the provinces don't have to. But there is so much more money in France, and that appeal has to be there for players. I mean, I know there's a World Cup to be won in Ireland. I do think there is this current crop of players could win the World Cup, but I mean, I think players have to look seriously at their futures as well as everything else I mean that's probably a factor for a lot of them that because most of them would have families they'd have kids they'd be kind of thinking well if I don't go now will I get the chance to play when I'm 32 in France at a competitive level from a player's perspective I absolutely can understand why they would want to better themselves financially without a question but I think it comes down to there are a few need to scrap this unwritten rule about whether you play for the Irish team you have that you have to be playing for one of the provinces to play for the Irish team because from the looks of it the f- okay the floodgates will open but from the sounds of it the floodgates might just open anyway and people might just say do you know what we do have to look after ourselves as they're saying and if it means we can't play for Ireland it's going to be gutting but I'll get over it because when I'm 30 years down the line and my family are secure that's much more important to me well, I think Shane Murray in the head of me was talking over the course of the November series when he was on doing Pundit Judy uh, it's, it's a similar thing to what the Australian team have I, I, mean, I think the Australian team have players who have hit 60 caps can play overseas and still be selected for the national team so I think something some rule like that where you keep players in Ireland up until they hit a certain amount of caps and then say right you're free to if you want to stay with Munster you've done your time and the Welsh we'd love to have you yes there's a Welsh yeah. so something like that you get the best of both worlds you mean the player comes up through the ranks at Munster gives maybe first six years of their career and then they're allowed to spend four years of their career in France I mean yeah. and I might very well work out with Johnny Sexton I mean Sexton went over to France and it was kind of no one kind of knew what would happen but he didn't really have that successful career in France and now he's back at Leinster and Leinster playing great rugby again and he's he's a very important part of the Leicester team Okay, so we'll move on from the the contract discussion to a more positive note and the performances in the Autumn Internationals were very good obviously the results were very good and the one word the buzzword coming out of from all the experts and the commentators is consistency the Ireland are beginning to find a level of consistency now under Schmidt which will worry opposition teams is it getting to the point, Steve, where the only team that Ireland would be, not fearful, but would be looking forward to playing, but would be definitely outsiders, would be the All Blacks? Or is that too much of a stretch? 
I think no, I think it's a it's a fair point. I think England, I think an Ireland v England clash as well has that sort of appeal to it. But does that that, that has that fifty fifty look to it, doesn't it? It has more of a fifty fifty look to it than an Ireland New Zealand clash. Exactly. New Zealand, exactly. Are, New Zealand are still the, the pinnacle. They're still yeah. the goal to aim for in in rugby terms. But absolutely, I mean Ireland should be going up against ninety nine percent of teams expecting to win. I mean, as as Mikey said, the depth of talent there is. Frightening, regardless of the contract situation, there is an awful lot of top top quality players playing in Ireland at the moment and playing for the Ireland team. And the way Joe Schmidt has been drilled, they should be beating everyone. And I mean, I think they should be looking to play the New Zealand team and going to beat them. They've got the duck off the back of having beaten them in Chicago. So the next time they play each other, and in fairness, when they played in Dublin, they were quite unfortunate yeah, to lose that. Absolutely. Game. I mean, I think every time, they, no matter who they're playing, this Ireland team should be you know, thinking. Right, lads, this is another game. We go out, we win, we come back, we go back training. It should be that simple because they're that good. Yeah, Mikey? there's there's a long way to go before the World Cup. Of course, yeah. You know, there's two Six Nations. There's um, there's there's more the uh, te- there's two series, three series of Test Internationals as well. Autumn. And yeah, in- including which they're going to be playing New Zealand. They think next, next November. November. November twenty eighteen. So you know, so and then you're looking at. Currently, top three nation without a doubt, you know, New Zealand, England, Ireland. But in two years' time, which is almost two years until it is a long time, yes, yeah, things, things can change. Things can change an awful lot, and as I say, you have that the, the contract situation to go into it. Um, I, I do worry that if something happens to Murray or Sexton, that we don't have the ready made replacements there, which we don't Plus, as well, these guys will be two years older as well, yeah. You know? Uh, as, as, like we do have a, an experience but it's it's not like Rob Kearney is probably one of the more aged players on that we do have a huge amount of depth for 13 of the 15 positions which I'm quite confident would be there in two years time I just worry on the 9 and 10 axis that if something happens there or if there's a lack of form or an injury or if one of those goes away or isn't you know up to 100% that we're not at the New Zealand England level, and and that is my biggest worry, especially in the nine, because you have the potential that Joey Carberry in two years' time could be up to the Johnny Sexton level. If not, I don't see us winning a World Cup in two years' time. Every other position, though, Joe Schmidt seems to have got right in terms of backup, in terms of having two backup in him, where he wasn't in two years two years ago when we played Argentina, mm. um, where we got caught. I, I do believe that he has 13 of those 15 positions ready to roll. It's the 9 and 10 axis. Agree or disagree, Steve? Oh, I absolutely agree about Conor Murray. I mean, Conor Murray is probably, he's definitely the best 9 in the Northern Hemisphere, potentially the best 9 in the world. As and, illustrated by the New Zealand coach when they were playing that time. Absolutely. Said, I mean, during the Lions tour. He's a phenomenal player and Sexton is still the man who yeah. makes everything tick. I mean, Ireland have been doing that Leinster loop with Sexton for a you can't stop for it. so long, and and no one like ever since Josh Mick came into the setup, that Leinster loop has been happening, and no one seems to be able to defend against it properly. But Murray is absolutely the he is the he's the he's the the golden goose really for the Australian team because he's he's such an impressive player. He sees he, he's his game has improved so much over the last couple of years. Defensively, he was always good because he was strong. Passing, obviously, he was good. But his box kicking, his vision, he sees space. He had a lovely kick against uh, last week against uh, Argentina into the space, and that sort of vision—that's the sort of things that wins the games. That sort of world-class play. 
So I think he is vital. No, and, and I think as well from where we are, we're in the midpoint of the two World Cups. Um, and there's so so many other things apart from the players like we, we've a new bit of variation in the way we play uh, which was illustrated in the first half an hour against, the Argent, against Argentina so we have the variation we have a better base in the scrum uh, we're a lot more clinical in our 21 now where we weren't a few years ago so mm-hmm. like those probably three points that they would have taken from the last World Cup and said we need to improve on we have improved on I think the Six Nations the Six Nations coming will be a big uh, We'll, we'll really see how far Ireland are coming and if we have a right to be this optimistic about your World Cup in two years' time because this Six Nations could potentially be one of the most competitive for, for the last couple Scotland. of years. I mean, the Scots, you yeah. saw, the Scots scored tries for fun in the November series. England, obviously, with Eddie Jones, they're one of the best teams in the world. Mm. Uh, in France, they haven't been on good form, but it'll be interesting to see if they turn up. And I mean, Wales will always be... Wales. Wales will yeah. always pull up a fight. And the Italians, that Conor O'Shea project, it's going to be interesting to see what he, how he does in another Six Nations. So, I mean, this Six Nations is going to be, A, very exciting from a fan's point of view, but B, it'll be very interesting to see where Ireland stand at the end of it. In a word, who will win it? Ireland. Mikey? The Six Nations. England. <laughs> Many thanks to Stephen, Evan and Mikey for their contributions again this week on Paper Talk Extra. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 